Hello, and welcome to season four of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. This is a podcast designed to provide you with the inspiration, confidence, and strategies for transitioning out of campus-based positions in education. Hosts, Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard, pivoted out of campus-based positions, hold senior-level positions in organizations, and love it. What started as an idea that they thought might benefit a few is clearly filling a need across the nation with education professionals during the Great Resignation. Jamie and Tom are excited to be back for another season with over 25,000 downloads across our first three seasons. So have a seat or take a walk. However you listen to podcasts and get ready for ideas and inspiration. And if you think this podcast was awesome, please consider giving us a five-star rating. Hello and welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman. And I'm Tom Studder. And today we are, I was going to say we are gathered today, which just feels right. Um, but today we are here and I, my dog is crying in the background. I'm going to try, it's a puppy. I'm going to try and deal with that. So listeners, sorry if you hear the crying. But we are here today with Sarah Toutant, who, did I pronounce your last name right? You did. I mean, it'd be pretty bad if I didn't, but I, to be fair, only had to say your last name probably like one time. That said, Sarah and I met, okay, I think it was like seven years ago now, maybe more. I can't remember, but Sarah was a student in my intro to student development theory class and maybe others as well at that time. And you were just a rad student all around, super engaged, also super personable. I have memories of your cupcakes because USC had a sprinkles, uh, sprinkles vending machine or something like that on the campus. And I remember that was like your, your, uh, that was your break time, uh, uh, motivation to come back to class. Um, but we also got to stay connected after I left. Um, we worked on a chapter together for a book and no surprise to me that you went on to, to do more and flourish even more. Um, you did your PhD program, which I saw you just, uh, officially walked. You looked so fantastic in that program, uh, or in that photo. Also, I know you are, um, very great at spoken word. And I remember you were doing uh, lots of different performances in that way. I'm not sure if we still do that, but I mean, you're just one powerhouse of a person. And when I saw your post where you were like, well, y'all, I'm not going to go the same route as everybody else that finishes their PhD. Uh, I am actually going to do something different. I was like, oh yeah, we need to have you come on the show to talk about that decision because there are First of all, it's not what people would expect, right? Especially, I mean, you worked under some very highly published scholars at USC in a very, very selective program. So definitely maybe going against the grain in that realm, but also just there's a lot of people I know that are in this space working on doctorates, especially just trying to figure out what is next. So I thought that your story would be great to, to hear about and share. So Thank you times a million for being willing to come on and then super kind of nice to just get to see you again, because like we just said, it's been, I think, an entire doctoral program since I saw you. Um, so I should have introduced you as 
Dr. Toutant, but then that would, then you'd be like Dr. Hoffman and Dr. Stuttert. And, you know, anyway, great to have you here. So that said, I mean, I pretty much gave your life story, but (laughs) (laughs) if there's anything else, you know, about your intro that you think is important that people know about you and in your experience in education, that would be great for you to add. And then, um, then you can kick us off by telling us, I know that was a really long intro. Tom just private messaged me, but I had so much to say. So feel free to add anything, but also then tell us. So um, what motivated your decision to choose this, you know, maybe against the grain kind of path and what are you doing? Well, thank you for the intro. I also remember those sprinkles cupcakes. Red velvet was my favorite flavor, still is till this day. I regret nothing. I think for me, the reason why I pivoted out was a few reasons. And I'm very transparent about this. Had I known what I knew now going into a PhD program, I am not sure I would have enrolled. The reason for me as to why I changed my mind was number one, the pay. I thought that it was ridiculous that people could spend four or five years of their life getting a PhD, becoming this expert in your given topic, and then struggle to find a job with our, with our job market right now. It's horrendous. And then be paid a salary that I don't think is fair for the amount of work that you put in over this period of time. That was a personal decision. I know some people don't really mind about the compensation and they, you know, take other opportunities on to like consulting or writing books, right. To, to make that, that compensation up, but it wasn't for me. I just, it, it, it just wasn't sitting well with me. In addition to that, I had some pretty toxic experiences in academia, experiencing a lot of burnout, also experiencing people that meant well, so they made it seem to me, but behind the scenes were mostly concerned about getting publications and grants and weren't necessarily concerned about the students or the populations they were saying that they served. And these were people that I once looked up to. And I think the other reason why I chose to pivot is because it wasn't having a tenure track faculty job was just not as exciting as the faculty made it seem. And that just is what it is. I've shared this with faculty members on social media. I've shared it in class. Jamie, you know, I'm a very vocal person. I say what I need to say. So everyone was very much aware of my stance on this. And nobody could provide me a reason to stay. So I left. I'm currently a director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at one of the largest nonprofits in California. We are a thousand and growing, and it's amazing. We don't typically, we're not, we don't operate like a typical nonprofit because we are so large and we do recognize our privilege with the amount of funds that we have because we're really um funded through federal streams and, and other other places as well. But I love it. I love the people I get to work for. I am at a mission-oriented organization. 
I'm not having a great time. So I'm glad I made the decision. So I want to dig in a little bit to that, Sarah. And first of all, it's 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 a joy to have you on the show. Um, I know Jamie got gave like the 45 minute um, version of your of your intro, and so um, I appreciate that uh, that you are on the show. I love the fact that we have a little bit of a USC connection, even though it's it's several years apart. Um, I want to dive into a few things that you said, um, particularly related to like why you chose to to move out. And I don't want you to necessarily have to go into too many sort of maybe personal details, but I think a lot of people are going to resonate with the two things that you talked about, which is one, the toxic experience. Um, you know, we see that a lot in the Facebook groups, the LinkedIn groups that we're in um, related to the toxicity of the work environment. And then the other piece is the compensation, right? Like, so you you sort of have those as, as sort of your two um, your two areas. And, and I was wondering if you could dive in a little bit to the toxicity piece, because we see a lot of that. Um, and one of the things that uh, that has concerned me, and, and Jamie knows this, that I've seen in the Facebook group is, I think toxicity can sometimes breed toxicity, can sometimes breed toxicity, right? And so like you wind up in a toxic environment, you get out and then you find another toxic environment and then you get out and you find another toxic environment. And, and I'm wondering if maybe you can talk a little bit about like how you got out of the toxic, toxic environment and sort of broke that chain, right? Um, that that you didn't carry that baggage with you and how you were able to not do that. Does that does that make sense? No, it definitely makes sense. And you know, for me, that kind of toxic place in higher education and academia was how do I say this? I think it was increased even more because I felt that I was being gaslit when I tried to explain what I was experiencing to people who also went through what I went through. So I don't know if it's that people go through academia and they had a toxic experience. So then they put that on other people. I went through this. So now you need to go through this. I mean, I wrote a whole paper with someone about how some professors, you know, put you through a doctoral program and it's almost like a hazing process, right? And it was not for me. And so what I realized is that arguably some of the same toxic behaviors could be in the corporate world, in the nonprofit world, in the in tech, wherever, right? At the end of the day, people are problematic no matter where you go. However, I knew that I, if I was going to go somewhere that was a little problematic, at least I'd be getting paid for it. And that was okay with me. Right. Thankfully, I'm not in a toxic environment now. And I think why is I really took the intentional time to take my time on the job market. I started the job market with the, with knowing that it was going to take some time. I wasn't looking for a job in a month or two or three. I was okay that if it took six to nine, that was okay with me. So I think it's important that in doing that, you get to vet people out. People are always saying, oh, we're going to vet, vet you because you're the one being interviewed. No, I want to vet you out as an organization as well. So whenever there was an opportunity for me to ask um, interviewers questions, I had very specific questions such as, what supports are you going to have for me as a DEI professional, financial, and emotional? Because this work brings on a lot of burnout, right? And, and, and I'm speaking for my, my profession in, in diversity, equity, inclusion specifically. And I wasn't afraid to ask those questions. And it was the responses that I got that helped me understand the types of organizations that I would be working for. So that's kind of how I, I broke that toxic cycle was asking those questions. And I'm glad I did because now I have all the resources that, that, I, that I need in my current role. And 
I am not looking back. I know you you don't necessarily have a point of comparison because you were, you know, only in one program, but meaning like people will say to me, was your doctoral program great? And I'm like, before I taught in a doctoral program, I was like, I don't, I don't know any other program. So I can tell you what was challenging and what was not, but with regard to the toxicity, I'm just curious, you know, especially for folks that are thinking about moving to a doc program, do you think that that's something that differs by institution to institution, you know, and, and I'll just you know, put my own bias out there. I, I, I actually, you know, worked at a state institution for nine years before I moved to uh, the research one uh, institution we were at. And I was taken aback by some of the differences that I didn't expect. Um, so I'm just curious if, if folks are thinking of that, because I think sometimes people will immediately assume, oh, flagship institution going to be great. Um, so I don't know. Any thoughts on that with regard to the type of institution? So not to plug my TikTok account, but to plug it in a way. <laughs> so it's um, at Dr. Sarah Tutant. I unknowingly created a TikTok following about 26,000 followers. I haven't been posting lately, so don't judge me. But I unknowingly like created this group of people just by talking about my toxic experiences. And as a social researcher, it made me feel that my experiences were then validated because all these people are in the comments saying, this was my experience too. This was my experience too. So it was almost data that I could take and say, see, there are thousands of other people across different institution types, across the different states that are still experiencing this phenomena of toxicity, right? So all that is to say, I do think that it differs, but I do think that it, it almost exists everywhere because academia was built off of a toxic environment, built off of racism, classism, homophobia, all the many isms and, and, and phobias, right? I do, though, think that there are some very specific things to think about. If you're applying to a doc program, think about who you're going to be working with, not only just their publications and their notoriety, but if they have the capacity to even mentor you and support you, that's the biggest question. Number two, I think looking at a toxic environment, you have to look at the funding structures as well. Um, if you're, I know EDDs and PhDs are funded a little differently, but that's also something to consider because a research one institution can fund you a little bit better, but I promise you, they will never let you forget it. And another thing is in terms of the differences is at a research one institution, it's research based. Everything that they do is research based, but it's also tied to money. Everything is tied to money. The more research you do, the more and the more the more grants you turn, you know, you get. And and that impacts what they expect of you as a student. And I think creates these like unrealistic expectations and. All that just to say, yeah, there are some differences, but overall, if you are in a toxic environment overall, like academia, it's going to replicate itself regardless of where you go. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that aligns with a lot of what I've seen as well, although, you know, I saw, I felt it a little bit differently. Um, but um, thank you for expanding on that. What I'd also love for you, if you're willing to expand on, is this, this salary. I'm not going to ask you to tell us how much you're paid, but I think a lot of people, I mean, even when I taught at the university, people are like, oh my gosh, you know, 
wow, like you must make a lot of money. And I, I've never been one to complain about what I make, you know, I guess, cause I didn't go into higher ed expecting anything. I'm a first generation college student. So everything has been an accomplishment. Um, that said, I don't know if the average person knows the general spectrum of a salary range for a tenure track faculty member compared to a range for a director of DNI at a company. And I feel like that would be enlightening for people to know if you're willing to share. Oh, yeah. I'm really transparent about salaries. I think we need to talk about it more. But what was surprising to me is that a tenure track faculty member from the positions in which I've seen, it's also based on location, ranges anywhere from 65 to 85. If you're at a research one in the Los Angeles area, you might hit 100. However, they're having expected that you've already had an assistant track, you've already had a tenure track uh, position, so it would not be for someone that's looking for, you know, a new position, right? So you kind of got to work your way up. Director or director of diversity, equity, inclusion role from the positions in which I was applying for, they range anywhere from 125 to 175 a year. Now, to me, that's a pretty drastic difference, right? And I'd say even some of like the director, the manager DEI roles, minimum, you're 100 and up. So I think there's a lot of earning potential out there. And granted, my work comes with its own set of challenges. I think everything does. But again, like I said, I'd rather be getting paid my worth than be somewhere having to work my way up when I already did four years in the PhD program. Now, that, that to me was quite a bit of work within itself, right? Absolutely. Sir, sir what I'd like to do is, is pivot a little bit. No, no pun, pun intended. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we've got a good sense of, of what you did and why you left. And, and I, I think our, our listeners will really resonate with, with that story and particularly the sort of the two two big reasons there. So let's pivot into like what you're currently doing. I know you gave us, you know, the overview or sort of a high level of what your title is, but maybe give us a little bit of the day-to-day what you do in your role as a director of DEI at, you know, this nonprofit um, for folks who are interested in going into DEI um, and, and making a pivot from whether it be faculty or student, student services or student affairs or even K through 12. And how did you find the role that you're in? The day-to-day, Tom, let me tell you, my day changes every day, which I love, right? Because one day is not like the other. One day I might be facilitating workshops and, you know, conversations with our staff. The next day I'm in meetings with HR driving our policies and strategies, right? But my main goal or my main role as a director of DEI is to create and implement our DEI strategy throughout our agency. And that really takes quite a bit of listening and assessment for me to even, you know, kind of assess where we need to go. Another part of my role, and this is the, the, the part that excites me the most, is just the conversations I get to have with people that just need a consult or need somebody to kind of walk through something. And I think what's, what's exciting for me in particular is that this is the first of its role. So I really get to build it up from, from the ground up. and currently expanding my team. So I'll be, you know, sharing a job description soon. Um, 
it's really an opportunity to create what I think this organization can benefit from. As far as, and I'm not sure if you, and the last thing I'll say about that is that um, DEI everywhere is becoming an increasingly, it's, it's a field, right? But it's becoming an increased need. You'll see a bunch of different people posting about these jobs, right? Best place that I found these jobs were on LinkedIn. I promise you, I signed up for every job site imaginable. I really did. And LinkedIn was just the one I was getting the most hits from. And for this particular role, I they found me through um, through LinkedIn. So I like that. And that's, that's I like LinkedIn, too. I mean, yes, there are a bunch of others um, that we share, but. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask about, because I, I had a chat with one of our former guests who she's a Black woman and she talks with a lot of um, Black folks about pivoting. And she shared that there's kind of extra layers of challenges, like sort of mostly emotionally about leaving the university setting because many folks came in with this idea of like, impacting the educational pipeline and then you're feeling like you're leaving people behind and I know that your um, work is in very much alignment with advancing social justice issues but I'm curious how you navigated I mean you have a, a pretty strong hold on like right now as you articulate to us like I needed more money and this was toxic and I wanted to do this but I imagine there was a period of time where you, you may have been grappling with sort of this part of your identity that you had crafted imagining you were going to go into higher to do this thing. And how did you kind of work through that? Oh, absolutely. I just didn't know if we had enough time to talk about it. But that was also a huge reason why I was like, this place was not built for Black folks, but it was not built for Black women. I have to go. But I was. Uh, there could be a study done on me and you could look at how higher eddy of a person I was. I was on campus during my undergrad. I was the first one with the microphone for the protest. I was like, student affairs is for me. I'm going to get this PhD. I'm going to study. I'm going to change it from the system from within. Like everybody knew that about me. I actually ran into somebody the other day and and I hadn't seen him in like three years, three, four years. He's like, oh, how's the, you know, PhD? I'm like, oh, I finished. He's like, oh, what are you doing in academia now? I said, I'm not in academia. And his jaw dropped. He could not believe that I left. Yeah. When I say I gave it my best effort, I really did. And I love students. I love working with students. That is what kept me there. Yeah. Particularly love working with Black students. So it was an emotional roller coaster for me when I realized it was either going to be my mental health or... Or I was, or I was, you know, leaving. It was hard. I remember talking to my therapist and I was crying, realizing that this life I had created for myself of higher ed wasn't going to be sustainable anymore. It was actually a breakup. I had a breakup with higher education. I really <laughs> did. And it was sad. But what I realized is I'm no good for students and I'm no good for that population of people that I wanted to change higher ed for if I wasn't happy. Yeah. So I now have found a way to still support students, but I do it from the lens where now I have more access to funds. So I've been able to help people out with their grad school application. 
I've been able to mm-hmm. get 30 people into grad school. I've been able to donate more to student organizations directly to the organizations. You know, I, I, I still find ways to give back. And I've also been able to help people transition out. I actually helped two people transition out of academia. So to answer that question, there, it was very difficult. And I still sometimes, you know, miss higher ed life. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And two things can be true at the same time. Yeah. I love that you just said that because at least the clients that I work with and Jamie, jump in if you feel the same. There's this sense of loss when people leave higher education, no matter what area of the university or college that they're in. I felt it. And you know, it's funny because now I would I would never go back, um, both from a financial perspective, for sure, a financial perspective, but also, you know, sort of the I've moved on. Right. But every now and then I have that. Oh, I'm, I miss the students. Oh, I miss the day to day of what I felt like I was I was doing. But what's interesting is that what I miss the most is that impact that I felt like I was making on students. Right. And and again, I wasn't on the faculty side. I was on the student, you know, student affairs leadership side, but I found a way to do that in my current role. And I bet you have too. You can still get that, that passion just in different, different ways in different areas. And that's what I hope our listeners hear, right. Is that just because you're leaving higher education doesn't mean that you're not going to find that that passion of helping people, mentoring people, coaching people in a role that's just not at a university or a college or a K through 12 school, that it's that it's very possible to get both of those things, to get the money, to get the lack of toxicity, to get, you know, sort of these other pieces in your career, but also be able to achieve that passion piece too. I completely agree with you. There are opportunities to mentor and to support and to find yourself outside of the realm of higher education if you allow yourself. But I completely agree. There's almost like this grieving process that I personally went through and it's normal. And I think that conversations like this help normalize it because I, I was like, what is wrong with me? (laughs) You know, am I just like really emotional, but no, like it, it, I think it's a shared kind of feeling amongst folks that choose to leave. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree a hundred percent. And, and, I what I hope folks hear from you and what I hope folks hear from this is that it's okay to have that grieving process that it is there is a loss there and the law and and, and it's and you're not you're not abnormal for feeling that I agree and you know I mean we, we are we have our last question to ask you which is just generally like if you were to give one bit of key advice to people who are looking to pivot what should they remember or what, what would you like to advise them to do? But I will say, you know, too, I, I hope that people do follow you on uh, your socials. I don't know if I follow you on TikTok. I might have to get, well, like you said, you don't post often. I barely know that I have an account there, but I do hope they follow you because I think you just, you share a lot um, and you're very transparent. And also I know, you know, you've gone through a lot of grief in your life. And I think, you know, you've talked about losing your dad. I know he was sick when, when you were in my class and um, he, I know he was proud of you um, when he was here watching, but I know that the strength that you're showing in really demanding the most for your life is something that I'm sure he looks down upon very, very uh, proudly. And I, I think that that's a part, important part of your journey. You share that other people 
you know, will appreciate too that are going through a lot of challenges in their life. And you, you come up on top. It seems like you always find a way to come up oh. on top. Somehow, um, some way. I don't know how, but it happens. I know how, and that's <laughs> because of you. But it is wonderful seeing your journey. And I, and I hope that people follow you because I certainly am going to. I will vote for you if you run for president one day or whatever, whatever. Um, all of that said, what is your, your key advice in this moment that you would give to folks who are thinking? Well, I mean, first, thank you so much for, for acknowledging my father, because that was, you know, a really difficult grieving process for me. He was my best friend and he actually got to see me graduate with my master's degree and then a month later he passed and six weeks um or I think it was a couple months later he passed and that was six weeks before I, I started my PhD program so my first year of the program was a blur I don't remember too much of what happened uh but then after I realized what happened and where I was in academia. I still knew it was not for me, but he was very supportive and I'm I'm happy um, that that you acknowledged him. So thank you. As far as my tidbit of advice, be patient with yourself. And in that patience, imagine yourself outside of the limited perspective that you've created. You have so many transferable skills that you may not even know because no one's ever told you in higher ed. But in higher ed, let me tell you, you are a project manager. You know how to do individualization. You know how to bring a project from start to from from, from start to, to finish. You're you know data, you know all these different things. Give yourself a little bit more credit for the expertise and the knowledge that you have. I think another thing is. Write those things down. Write down what you do. Identify those skills and rewrite your resume to be more reflective of how powerful of a person and of, of, a, of a mentor, right, uh, that you are. And I think by doing that, it will help you kind of figure out what other positions could be possibilities for yourself outside of it. I think that that's fantastic advice. And Sarah, I I can't tell you how thankful I am to to you for being on our show. And quite frankly, because I had never actually met you before, that now I have somebody like you in my network. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's, it was truly a pleasure. And I think all of our listeners will truly resonate with your story and your experience. And so thanks for being vulnerable and for, for sharing that with us. To all of our listeners out there, we hope that you enjoyed today's show. I know I did. Uh, make sure and listen next week for another great episode of Pivoting Out of EDU. Thank you for listening to Pivoting Out of EDU. In addition to our podcast, we offer various ways to get support as you work through your career transition, including digital resources, one-to-one consulting, group workshops, and cohort-based blended learning experiences. For more information about these services and show notes, visit pivotingoutofedu.com. And if you haven't done so already, join our LinkedIn group called EDU Pivoters, where we share job opportunities and foster engagement between those who have pivoted and those who want to pivot.